invest in professional development for your entire organization, boost its potential, and see it grow. Choose Docebo, the world's most powerful platform for corporate learning. Learn more at docebo.com. A man dressed all in black puts one foot in front of the other and moves forward. It's the summer of 1974. The New York City air blows against him. The man's movements are slow and tense because under his feet, there's a deadly drop. He's walking a steel wire between the two famous Manhattan skyscrapers. The man is Philippe Petit, a famous French high-wire walker, and in a few days, he'll be 25 years old. But today is the 7th of August, and he may never see that birthday. Below, the crowd holds its breath and gasps at every movement on the wire. Petit, the high-wire walker, is just a dot in the sky. Someone might think that it's an insane performance, a thing only a madman would do. He must be a lunatic, a crazy person. But actually, each step is a lesson in balance and control. Philippe Petit moves forward, apparently walking on thin air, challenging the sky. You might think he's moved by a death wish, a dark siren as black as his dress. But he's not beckoned by this. Instead, he's walking across time and space. Not only is he facing the laws of physics, he's rewriting them. He's pushing back against them. He's approaching the limit and breaking it down. A few minutes later, the people of Manhattan can finally breathe again and marvel at what they've just seen. Petit has reached the second skyscraper. He's walked across the air. He's challenged the sky. His name will go down in legend. This is a lesson that we can remember today in a totally different global context, but one where other high-wire walkers have much to learn from his example. Today, half a century after Petit's endeavor, it seems that it's the bank's turn to step on the wire. And this time, the entire world is holding its breath. I am Guido Brera, and you're listening to Black Box, the hidden side of finance, a podcast by Cora Media, sponsored by Docebo. Today, the central banks are the ones high up in the sky, balancing on a wire. There's no Philippe Petit, and there aren't any skyscrapers, but the rules are the same as 50 years ago. Each step forward is a step away from the recent past, away from the first two decades of the 21st century. When interest rates were low or almost non-existent, this was the season of quantitative easing, a necessary move to save the American credit system from the great financial crisis of 2008. Printed money to cover a giant liquidity crisis to protect the banks, to sink interest rates, and ensure the sustainability of public debt. 
On one side of the wire that the central banks are walking, there's a yesterday of dizzying heights, years of favorable winds, and God's speed. A past in which inflation was low and credit was accessible for the few, especially for the few, as an incentive to prop up the world economy, at least until it flipped the world upside down. These weren't the only effects, because with such low interest rates, states took up debt in order to save their own banks, and they were also able to offer guarantees on debt sustainability. Money was printed with one hand, and public debt was bought with the other, using that same printed money. Meanwhile, the real economy truly believed that recovery was just around the corner. But it was an illusion, a parlor trick. With such low interest rates, capital was encouraged to invest rather than settling for income. Instead of just buying public debt, it preferred to invest in startups, private equities, and venture capitals. This was the heyday of the lightweight enterprise, or the flimsy business. Companies that acted like butterflies about to fly off into the sky. But kept alive by patient capital, without limits nor boundaries, these butterflies grew to enormous sizes. They took over giant chunks of market share and stepped over the old economy. Competition couldn't keep up because these butterflies could work at a loss and sell their services below the market prices. These were the days of techno finance, with its futuristic enthusiasm and an eye towards the final frontier. At the same time, inequality was growing rapidly as workers' rights had been all but eliminated, and the hard-fought social victories of the 1900s were slowly taken away. So, in the end, low interest rates failed to reboot the economy. Instead, they made the rich richer and the poor much poorer. Finance has always linked the present with the future, and it's done so thanks to one sacred variable: the cost of money. If interest rates reach zero, then present and past coincide, and the imagination of visionaries becomes a reality. Dreams are suddenly tangible, and it's thanks to these dreams that we've seen such technological advancements in the fields of medicine, robotics, AI, and space exploration. At the same time, low interest rates are the lightning bolt that can give life to new Frankenstein's. Because techno finance is a monster that devours everything, the cost of living goes up for essential goods, healthcare, housing, and education. Meanwhile, other prices fall, bringing down the domestic demand, which is the healthiest base of inflation. On the other side of the wire is the present, hanging on variable mortgages and dizzyingly high debit rates. After these difficult years, companies are in debt, as are states. For example, this year the USA government paid 701 billion in net interest, one third more than the previous year. The average interest rates on federal debt have risen from 1.5 percent, 2 percent in 2022, to nearly 3, 4, 5 percent today. The deflationary engine that used to freeze prices has run out of steam. Real salaries need to be adjusted upwards, but they've been stationary for way too many years. Onshoring has brought back production to countries with long-standing standards of importation, and this has been impacting China's exports. 
On the horizon, we can already see that structural inflation is about to go up. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing. Inflation is a powerful tool for reducing debt, but it needs to go hand in hand with growth in order to reduce the debt to GDP ratio. Much in the same way as debt can also be good. A bridge towards the future, as long as it's based on healthy investments. On this side of the wire, we can see the fear that's afflicting markets and banks. If the price of oil goes up, there's the risk of high inflation and therefore high interest rates. If public debt isn't sustainable, the consequences will be severe. On this side, we can also see the beginning of quantitative tightening or the selling of government securities held by central banks, as well as the non-renewal of those that are maturing. Central banks are doing a balancing act, just like a high-wire walker does. On one side, controlling inflation. On the other, stopping inflation from falling too quickly. And on top of it all, attempting to avoid stagflation, which is a general increase of prices while the economy deflates. The delicate balance is that of inflation and stabilization. When inflation is too little, it indicates a physiological issue with growth. But when it's too high, it creates a lack of trust in the central banks and debt refinancing. Because inflation is like ketchup on french fries. First, you can't get it out of the bottle. Then it pours out all at once. Balance. The ability to stay concentrated and focused, just like 50 years ago, way up in the Manhattan sky. This isn't an easy situation, but like Petit himself once said, the wire is not what you imagine. It is not the world of lightness, of space, of smiles. It is a trade, sober, harsh, discouraging. In 1974, the high wire walker challenged the Twin Towers. Now, those two buildings don't exist anymore, having been knocked down on September 11, 2001. That was the start of over 20 years of conflict. A perennial Third World War, which today is manifesting itself in Ukraine and in the Middle East. A Third World War before the Fourth. That between Homo sapiens and nature, between humankind and its own environment. Conflict that threatens our own extinction, throwing us down into the abyss. Unless, of course, we're able to find the balance that we need. Black Box is a Cora News podcast, produced by Cora Media and sponsored by Docebo. Written by Guido Brera with I Diavoli. Editorial supervision by Francesca Milano. Intro and sound design by Luca Micheli. Editing and post-production by Luca Micheli and Mattia Liciotti. Production organization by Alex Peverengo. 